Hello there and welcome to the second part of our music podcast with Adam Miller discussing the music of 1966. The full podcast including all songs chosen by Adam can be heard on Spotify, search over our garden wall. However, if you can't access Spotify, this is a copy of all the chat from the podcast. You can of course listen to Adam's songs on Apple Music too, just not in this podcast. Apologies for this and hopefully one day we can publish in full on Apple as we do on Spotify. Enjoy the chat and stay safe. Hello and welcome back to part two of our podcast with Adam Miller discussing uh, 1966 as potentially one of the best years. Uh, Part one was great and part two will be great too. Enjoy this. Before we talk about your next selection, I had a quick look at some of the football achievements that happened in 1966 and I thought it might be good fun to maybe just test your area of expertise Mm -hmm. a little bit. Okay. Yeah, just, uh, there was no World Cup that year, I've heard. heard they just skipped that year. I, I, I didn't research the World Cup at all, no, I didn't, didn't realise that was 66. Um, a couple of questions for you then. So, uh, obvious one, Division 1 League winners 66 was? Celtic. Celtic, yeah, and Jock Steen's first league title. Right. Uh, of, of many, as it, as it turned out. And uh, to cheer you up as well, the, Hamil- the relegated teams that year were Hamilton and, unfortunately, Greenock Morton. <laughs> who are my team so um, uh, yeah I thought I'd mention that also it's quite interesting Sterling Albion I think finished like 6th or 7th or something in the league which right, okay. just amazing isn't it when you, you think about how things are now <laughs> Scottish Cup winners um, Celtic it was Rangers okay um, they won after a replay uh, against Celtic and the flip side of the Jocks team was it was Scott Simon's last trophy right okay Um he uh, he he left uh, the following year, I think, after losing. I think he lost the Cutlers Cup final in '67, and I think it was he was also top of league, I believe, when when he got dismissed, which seems pretty tough, but uh, mm. but he did. Um, Scottish, the Scottish national team had three managers in 1966. Stab, have a stab at those. Three managers. Three See, managers my... in one year. <sighs> See, my football knowledge is not anywhere near as good as my music knowledge so um <laughs> what one's one you one you would know very well the other two maybe less so 66 so the managers of the scotland team it, it's there's gonna be one that i'm kicking myself for but my mind's gone blank yeah the one you would jump on would be jockstein all <clears throat> oh, right okay. so he was um he was like a temporary manager of the team at the same time as he was manager of celtic Right, okay. Um, for, for a whole bunch of reasons. The other yeah. two guys were John Prentice and Malky McDonald. Right, okay. Should have got Jock Steen, but... Yeah. Played, never got the other two. No, me neither, to be honest. Played six, won one, drew two, lost three. So hmm. no real change in fortunes, I guess, in the in the intervening years. And the uh, last one was European Footballer of the Year. Would you reckon 66, that might have been? Yeah. Uh, Bobby Charlton. On the money, it was Bobby oh, really? Charlton. Yeah, yeah, well done, mate. There you go. I don't have facts in my title for nothing. <laughs> and the runner up, the runners up were Eusebio and Beckenbar. All right, okay. It's a pretty tasty top three, isn't it? There's a good. There's actually there's a good picture of Eusebio in a record shop during. I think it must be during the the '66 World Cup, but he's just in a a record shop in England, and it's just one of these kind of very, yeah. very cool football pictures. There was um, there was one Scott in the top twenty. In the 60s, Dennis Law. Dennis Law, well done. That's fit. Considering I dropped that on you, I think you've, you've done pretty well. <laughs> Your reputation's uh, holding up. 
and there was another big event in 66 but I, I, I googled and wikipedia but I couldn't find any information about it so we won't talk about it okay yeah, no, just skip that. let's move on very quickly so back to the music and following on from Otis we have the Queen of Soul Aretha Franklin with her mm-hmm. song Sweet Bitter Love from the album Soul Sister what can you tell me about this song and I know that you've chosen the demo version of the, the track as well Adam yeah, so the the actual proper recorded version is great, but I've no idea how I found this. It was I think I read someone talking about how great it was years ago. That just this demo of it. I think it was maybe like a compilation had come out a few years ago of obscure or rare Aretha Franklin recordings, and um, I just happened to see someone talking about it, and I thought oh, I'll need to listen to that. And it was yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's um, it's not got the the production's not as big as uh, or as fine tuned necessarily as the the final version of it. But Aretha Franklin's voice is just sensational, and um, you know whether she's belting something out like respect or or uh, something more restrained, like like most of this song, although she does kind of go for it at points in it. It's just it's it's sensational, and um, even. Not you know even in the years shortly before she died, there was you know that performance she had at uh, the Kennedy Center in front of like Obama, mm-hmm. and she's doing "You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman," and she's mm-hmm. about seventy five or something at the time, and she comes on with a fur coat and all the rest of it, and it's just one of, to like it's one of the best live performances I've seen, not in person obviously. I wasn't next to Obama, but yeah. like the on, on the clip on YouTube, it's just it's well worth a watch. Have you saw the clip where she stood in for Pavarotti at the Grammys? Not sure. So he grabbed Pavarotti's to perform and um, and he's ill and uh, she offers to stand in for him right, okay. and sing. And they say, well, what are you going to sing? And she says, well, I'll, I'll sing what he was going to sing, which was Ness and Dorma. Right. And she does. Um, so again, if you if you YouTube or Google that, you'll see it. it's amazing. She very much puts her own stamp on it, but it's She's belting the song out, you know, mm. as a la Pavarotti, which just shows <laughs> the talent that she had. Uh, I noticed a fairly famous um, songwriter <clears throat> for um, for the song that you've chosen. I don't know if you've picked up on that. Uh, let me think. Uh, would it be Carol King? It was Van McCoy. Do you remember Do the Hustle? All right, yeah. I know, again, slightly slightly older for yourself, but he became a sort of very well-known um, 70s sort of stacks singer, producer, performer and The Hustle was a huge song in mid 70s or whatever mm. so again he was one of the kind of songwriting team that was about at that time it was also her last album I think on um, on Columbia which who she'd been with really since her sort of breakthrough and she moved to Atlantic after this and that's when she kind of went global with mm-hmm. But she wasn't actually getting the success that she, you know, she then went on to get from Atlantic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, she ended up getting it, didn't she? Well, and even even now, I think um, the the kind of best of list that you, that you read on, uh, notice that Rolling Stone in twenty ten voted her the number one greatest singer ever, um, right. which is about right for me. And even I think it was last year when they updated their greatest songs, they do like a top five hundred songs every ten mm-hmm. years, and number one was Respect. Yeah. Which um, it's fair enough. Doesn't it? It is yeah. fair enough. Yeah. 
it wasn't a single, your selection, but um, but she did manage to get a total of 112 Billboard chart singles in her career, which uh, isn't too shabby. <laughs> so from the album Soul Sister, released in June 66, this is Sweet Bitter Love by Aretha Franklin. That was Sweet Bitter Love and uh, A Thing of Beauty, I'm sure you'll agree. And staying with the soul, R&B influences, your next song, Adam, is from an iconic Motown band from that period, mm-hmm. um, The Vandellas, or Martha Reeve and The Vandellas. You also picked tracks by The Supremes and Kim Weston in your playlist. What What is it about these singers and songs that makes them so timeless, do you think? Um, I don't know. There's a kind of joy to all that kind of music. It's um, It doesn't sound overly um, fussy necessarily. It's just pure proper pop music and mm. uh, with uh, with something that like I'm ready for love there's a kind of I don't know like a sort of yearning quality to it that it just sounds really um there's there's passion in there um and also that kind of beat similar to the one you hear a million times and things like lust for life and all the mm. rest of it and uh heat wave and all the rest of it it's just um you can't not dance to it if you hear that kind of thing and I think it was a Holland, Dozier Holland um, composition, mm-hmm. which um, I guess back to that quality of, of songs that you were mentioning, they were they were part of the factory really that were sort of knocking them out for fun. Yeah, it's uh, it's not the kind of thing, um, it's, it's not the kind of thing that uh, you can just ignore, you, you know, you, can, you can't just ignore their track record. They've just got so many absolute, era, you know, era-defining songs. Yeah, I think 10 of the 12 songs that the Supremes had as number ones were written by them. Really? Which is, um, yeah, it's, it's some legacy, that. And I guess it must have been hard if you're picking that Vandellas tune, if you think about Nowhere to Run, Heatwave, Jimmy Mac, Dancing the Street. You know, there's there's quite a lot to choose from. Not all from this year, I'll give you, but um, they're all from about that time. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm ready for love. Just that felt right for you too. Yeah, it was a, it was it was hard to narrow it down, um, but yeah, it had to be it had to be that one for me. Yeah, did the the Bowie Jagger version of Dancing the Street put you off <laughs> putting that in? Or but that I, I I thought as well like that I love Dancing in the Street. Don't get me wrong, but um, I think it's such a it's such a well known one that people have heard a million times. And this one is maybe a little a little bit more obscure. Yeah, and. I think if someone can hear it tonight and go, and hear it for the first time, I think, no, that's done the job of this kind of podcast. And uh, and I think you're right. I think part of the fun of the podcast is partly educational because we're, we're covering so many years and genres here that we're unlikely to get a kind of greatest hit set out of, out of that. So we're hoping that yeah. when, when we podcast it, that the listeners will think, all right, I'll go and, go and check that out now, especially when you've got all the streaming material available to, to sort of pick from as well as LPs making a comeback and all the all the great stuff that's out there. Um, have you heard the Temptations version of the song? Um, I don't think I have. Mm, I've, maybe the year after, maybe or so. Maybe mid to late 60s, it came out after the Vandellas version, but um, very much their stamp on it, but it's it's fantastic, as you can imagine. It's got that real kind of rolling sound to it that they, they do so well. Mm-hmm. It's worth checking that out. Um, we'll, we'll give this one a play then. So from the album Watch Out, um, the song was a top 30 in the UK and top 10 in US, US and it was the biggest hit since uh, Nowhere to Run the previous year. This is I'm Ready for Love by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. That was I'm Ready for Love by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. 
Earlier on, we had a look at the best albums released in 66. The top selling singles are pretty interesting too. In the top 20, there was three Beatles and three Beach Boys. But there was a couple of other interesting ones I thought would be worth rattling off the top 10 for you, just to give you that right. reference point. We've okay. got Manfred, Manfred Mann, Pretty Flamingo. We've got The Trogs with A Girl Like You. Okay. Eight was The Kinks, Sunny Afternoon. Classic. Seven was Tom Jones, Green Green Grass of Home. Six was The Walker Brothers, Sunny Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore, which um, is an amazing tune. Yeah. And you've got Nancy Sinatra, those boots are made for walking. Four Tops, Reach Out, I'll Be There. Beatles, Yellow Submarine slash Eleanor Rigby. Mm-hmm. And top two, surprisingly, was Frank Sinatra, Strangers in the Night. And number one was Jim Reeves, Distant Drums. Right, okay. So I guess the reason for just checking back on that was when you sort of look at what you are talking about earlier in that 60s sea change, if you want, mm-hmm. does it feel as if that kind of revolution was, was happening or was it maybe slightly overstated or is it just kind of moment in time and you've got all these different genres and, uh, and generations sort of competing with each other? Well, I think... I think every, you know, it's a it's a question that someone who was around at that point in time would be better placed to answer, I think, because every generation feels like the music they were listening to at that formative moment in their lives, maybe when they're a teenager and you feel that stuff the most, is, ne- is just automatically the greatest period yeah. ever for music. You know, when, when you get that point, when you become just obsessed with certain bands or artists and... But you're never going to, when you're, you know, 29, 39, 49, 59, have the same feeling that you did when you were 19 about certain musicians. And so, you know, you'll always come back to that music from that time. And obviously I wasn't alive in the 60s, but there's a whole generation that can't see past that era Mm. as the pinnacle. But I kind of can agree to up to a certain point with that that there is just so much going on in that period and I think you could probably say that the biggest change in music probably happened in the early 60s um, when all these things burst onto the scene whether it be Beatles, The Stones, Motown, singer-songwriters, brilliant soul musicians and all the rest of it and if you contrast if you contrast that with what was going on even 10 years before that I mean, Elvis alone was probably the hugest change in the mid fifties, mm. but there weren't a million other people as, or there weren't loads of other people making music as good as Elvis at the time when Elvis came out. But when the Beatles came out, so did the Stones, and when Motown came out, so did Stax, yeah. and all the rest of it. And uh, when Be- when the Beach Boys came out, or when the Beach Boys started doing your pet, pet sounds type things, you had psychedelic bands and Phil Spector, you know. And Be- Brian Wilson's influenced by Phil Spector or whatever, and it's just this huge, big, probably a better term than melting pot, but it is just this melting pot of so much incredible stuff going on at the same time. And I guess maybe your next selection takes us into that because it's a sort of change of pace and musical direction. So tell mm-hmm. us about Count Five and their song Psychotic Reaction and why you've went with this one. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not an expert on Count Five, but I'm really into that kind of, you know, the the Nuggets compilation. Mm. Um, that Lenny K put together and from the Patti Smith group like I I was, was obsessed with that but like when I started going out to, like there'd be some different groups of friends that I would go to different clubs with so if I was with certain groups of friends it would be like the 
the clubs where you're going and it's not really about the music, it's just about being a young guy going out and getting pissed. And those clubs, sometimes the music would be good, sometimes, you know, sometimes it'd be crap, whatever. But the, there were other friends of mine where we would go to places like, uh, it's no longer open, but the, the Barfly in Barfly. Glasgow, where, the, you know, been to a million gigs there as well, but they used to have like a club night called Funhouse. I wasn't there every week, but I was there a lot. And uh, they would they would play this kind of thing. And this is the sort of thing we'd be dancing to in that club. Um, and it is so infectious, this song. And it is like the, the whole Nuggets compilation's got a million different cool things on it, but this one sort of stands out. What kind of genre would you classify this as? Is it, does it have one? I, I mean, it's there's elements of maybe garage Gar- rock. Garage, and, yeah. garage rock. And there's sort of fuzzy stuff going on. Um, but it's not it's not something if you if if you were put off by the term garage rock or whatever, it's not something that you'd find difficult. It's really, really catchy. Um and I think you'd have to really be trying hard not to be tapping your foot with it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And uh, you've got guys like the 13th Floor Elevators that we mm. touched on earlier. I think the Electric Prunes were kind of about this time yeah. as well. And maybe even, uh, do you know the Bobby Fuller trio that did the original I Fought the, I law. Fought the law? Yeah. Kind of, you know, kind of it's got, got elements of that to it. It's all this kind of mm-hmm. simplistic noise. I, I read some interviews with um, Steve Van Dance from the issue, <clears throat> and he, he's a huge sort of Gary's Rock um, aficionado. And he hmm. grew up through that time and uh, his, his knowledge is encyclopedic about it. And he does a great radio show if you're ever at loose end. Plays a lot of that stuff as well. Yeah. I think they only did one album and um, and they split in 69. And surprisingly, they only did one reunion gig as well. Sometimes these bands sort of come back a lot and play. They did one gig in 1987, the original lineup, and released it as a live album, which I think right, is okay. deleted. You can maybe get it somewhere on stream or whatever. But... Um, Worth listening to that as well if you hear it, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, we'll have a wee listen because it is a, a song that, that deserves to be heard for those that, like myself that, that hadn't heard it before. And I've really enjoyed going back into um, some of the Garage Rock stuff and, uh, and the Nuggets compilation that you touched on, Adam. Mm-hmm. From the album The Same Name and their only pseudo release, um, the single was released in June 66 and reached number five in the US. This is Psychotic Reaction by Count Five. So that was Psychotic Reaction by Count Five. And as Adam mentioned earlier, if anyone who would like to hear a bit more Gary's Rock, check out the 1972 compilation album, Nuggets, which was compiled by Lenny Kay. We've really enjoyed your songs you chose for today, Adam. And we have one more to play, but before we do, I mentioned earlier that you gave us a 15-song playlist that we will mm-hmm. put out on Spotify along with all the other playlists we get from our other guests. Yeah. Thought it'd be nice to shout out the other tracks and if okay, mm-hmm. uh, we'd like you to give us a one-sentence review on each of them okay. so that when we listen to the playlist we can think about that so first one is uh, Fred Neal and the Dolphins one sentence is difficult um, we'll allow you to okay um, okay is per- one sentence a personal a personal all time favourite like top 10 ever song for me but I also was on a music podcast a few weeks ago and talked about it at length so I was like I'm not gonna right. put it on two podcasts at the same okay. time yeah uh, I couldn't agree more with that I went to see Billy Bragg on Saturday night at the Barrowlands and All right, Billy, yeah. Billy Bragg's covered Dolphins in, in one of his albums which is where I heard it first before I heard the Fred Neil version so I don't know why yeah. I always I always had this thing in my head that I, I knew someone who was a really big Billy Bragg fan and I don't know how this conversation started but we were talking about like Billy Bragg what he would sound like covering songs you wouldn't expect Billy Bragg to be singing or whatever. And I remember we were doing like 
killing me softly or something. He's like, strumming yeah. my pine with his fingers. Ching, 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 ching. Killing me softly with it. Yeah. My introduction to the Dolphins was actually Al Wilson. The Snake, yeah. People always say nobody knows any other songs by Al Wilson apart from The Snake, but I do. Touch and Go. That's a good Al Wilson song. Yeah, there's there's three references off one tune, so that that's all allowed within your two sentences for sure. And and Fred Neil's other big song. The song called "Little Bit of Rain," but oh no, everybody's talking. Everybody's talking. Of course, he wrote wrote that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, of course he did. Yeah, wow. Your next one was the Supremes. You keep me hanging on. Just proper top of the line Motown stuff. Classic. I think, as Dee mentioned earlier, they were one of the bands that um, were doing two albums a year hmm. at the time. They, so, they had 14 turntable hits, give or take, it might have been you know, 12, 13, whatever. They had 14 non-hits, single releases before they actually had a hit record. Is right. that right? Yeah, Where Did I Love Go? I, I'm sure it was Where Did I Love Go? And apparently they were in the studio. It might have been Holland, Dozier Holland, but in fairly, it was in fact. And they were saying, just sing Baby Baby, and they were going, we're not singing that, it's hokey. Just give us a hit. Just trust us. You know, there was that whole conversation took place. But um, Barry Gordy was not going to let them fail. No, I'm <laughs> sure. And it's it's a great version, but, uh, you know, arguably the Kim Wilde version's better. Would you agree? <laughs> yeah, probably. I like the colour box version, actually. Yeah, but I think I'll stick with the Supreme. It's <laughs> no offence to Kim Wilde. <laughs> None taken, I'm sure. Okay, next song was Nina Simone, Wild as the Wind. Uh, yeah, Nina Simone, but if it was purely just about who's my favourite artists of all time, she's easily a top five for me. Um, and um, yeah, the, Nina, sorry, remind me, what was the, the Nina Simone when I went? Yeah, Wild as the Wind. Wild as the Wind, yeah. yeah. Um, it's obviously a song, there's a lot of different versions of it, and sort of Bowie did a classic version of it as well. Um, and it might have been through his version it might have been his version I heard first, I'm not sure, but um, yeah, it was just, a, I had I had a look at whatever songs she came out, it, she had out in 1966, because I wanted to pick at least yeah. one somewhere for the show, so uh, yeah, she does a great version of it. She does, and I know Bowie recorded the version after having met Nina Simone in 75, I think right. she, she played a gig and she sang it and he went away and covered it, so so you're, you're on the money there. Brian's really done his research here, hasn't he? <laughs> It's one does, of the does all his own research and stunts. And stunts. Uh, Mamas and the Papas, California Dreaming. Just a classic three-minute pop song. Yeah. Amazing. And they sang the backing vocals to the original version of it, which was, uh, I think, a guy called Barry Maguire did that. Uh, Eve, Eve of Destruction guy. Eve of Destruction, yeah. absolutely. But it was very close. I think that was 65, and they, they sort of re-recorded it almost immediately and and they uh, had a pretty big hit with it as well. So. You know, Bobby the, Womack did a good version as he well. He did, yeah. Oh, aye. Yeah. You know the, the uh, what was it, McGuinn and Maguire sitting by the fire in LA? Mm. Do you know where that's at? Yeah. Creek, Creek Alley, is that that one? Is, is that what it's called? Creek Alley? That's is that Creek? I couldn't remember the I name of it. Alley. No one's getting fat except Mama Cass. Yeah. That's her. And she must have just sat, she went along with it. So. Well, well. Uh, you're two, three to go. You've got the Beatles, Tomorrow Never Knows. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I was, I was up, you know, they were unlucky not to get in my top eight. I'm yeah. sure, sure it'll be causing Paul McCartney sleepless nights if he, you know, he finds out. But it was, <laughs> right. Re- Revolver's just such a classic album. And I think 
it's if you're going to single out one song from it, like I'd love to have known what hearing that in 1966 would have been like. You know, yeah. there's that. I don't know if you watch Mad Men, but there's a scene where they obviously probably blew the entire budget for the series on getting the rights to Tomorrow Never Knows, and there's a yeah. scene where Don Draper's wife is a Beatles fan and his wife's quite a bit younger than he is and he obviously doesn't get it and she brings home Revolver and you just see him putting it on the headphones and just looking a little bit confused when Tomorrow Never Knows comes on like it just yeah. doesn't make any sense to him No, you can you can understand why it wouldn't as well and it, it, I think it's the last track in the album but interestingly it was the first track they recorded for hmm. for the record and that you would imagine it being at the end because of the kind of sound development that they went through but I think it was McCartney just doing his stuff wasn't it and then Lennon jumped in with the lyrics and stuff. So, yeah. there's a great bit in the the anthology documentary where they play you the the sort of demo version of it and how it was built up, hmm. and then it jumps to the final version. I mean, I, I like I like all the versions of it, but hmm. when you hear the final one, it just kicks right in. And we've got these uh, the Get Back documentaries coming out soon, haven't we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, which will be fascinating uh, from Peter Jackson. Right. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that. Due out in November, actually. Hmm. Kim Weston, help us. Yeah, a bit of kind of Northern Soul sort of thing. Um, Absolutely. I, you know, I, I, it's just a, a great song, again, to hear out when you're dancing. It was, again, the kind of thing I'd maybe hear on a night out. Um, it's also like some... I've had Stuart Cosgrove on the podcast a couple of times, and yeah. I've, through doing Off the Ball a few times and doing a podcast in the same company as him, I've, I've had a few conversations with Stuart, and I'd, as much as technically doing football stuff in the podcast i just like to talk to him about music for as long as possible yeah. he's obviously this massive encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to soul music and uh yeah i just like I've, I've asked him about northern soul on the podcast before and a song like this is just the you know i, I wouldn't trust someone who heard this and had a negative reaction to it basically <laughs> well you can trust us adam yeah. uh, that was that that was one sentence, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah, no breaks in it, so that, yeah. that constitutes a sentence. <laughs> and there's an iconic one to finish, which was uh, All or Nothing by The Small Faces. Yeah. Um, it's just, I mean, what, what a singer. Um, and again, I mean, it's another one that's just a tight kind of three minutes, isn't it? Um, yeah. It just doesn't outstay as welcome. It's brilliant. It doesn't, there's no, um, yeah, yeah, there's no fat at all in it, is there? No. Well, yeah. Was this the, the one that, there's a sort of debate as to whether they had a co-number one with the Beatles. So all or nothing. I know it was a number one, but uh, I don't... There was a bit of a debate know. about whether the Beatles or the small... In the Small Faces book that I've got, it says they had a joint number one with the Beatles, but I haven't seen it anywhere else. Okay, didn't know that. Technically they did or whatever, you know, the, the charts were a bit different in those days <laughs> as well. I, I'm going to leave Adam with a stat on this one. You're going to take this one with you, Adam. <laughs> that uh, the person who discovered the small faces and got them their break in London was Elkie Brooks. Right. Do you know Elkie Brooks? The name rings a bell. No more yeah. the fool? Yeah, she became a pretty big singer in the sort of 70s. Um, Pearl's a, a singer, No More the Fool, Lilac uh, Wine. She was in a band with uh, Vinegar Joe. Going to have with to Robert Palmer. Palmer right, okay. Yeah, but she was a she was a sort of well known singer in the sixties doing the circuit, and she heard them in a I think it was a Birmingham pub or something, and right, okay, got them down to London and you know, the rest is history. So hmm. there we go. 
So, so that's um, so that's the other songs that we haven't heard today. But as I say, they'll all be on the playlist, and those fifteen next to Graham's will be sort of thirty um, lovely songs to to sit and listen to when whenever you're driving around or sitting in traffic, which is the way at the moment. So, to your final song today, and it's fair to say that you're finishing on a high by choosing "God Only Knows" by the Beach Boys. We could be here a while in this one. Are the Beach Boys on your go-to list of bands you love, or is there just something about the song that jumps out at you? Yeah, I mean, they prob- they probably are. I mean, I could go long stretches without hearing them, but something like, uh, you know, as an album, Pet Sounds obviously is untouchable, you know, or nearly untouchable. Um, and even some of the kind of weird stuff in the in the 70s, like the, I think it's called Love You, the album, uh, and it's got this, this weird song on it about Johnny Carson, the talk show host and all that. It, like, so, even, so there's some really intriguing stuff there. And then like similarly to the trajectory of the, Be- uh, of the Beatles, where the first few years are these just straight ahead pop songs and then things start going kind of weird and brilliant. The pop songs at the start are brilliant, just as they are with the Beatles. You know those. You know I get around and all the rest of it. They're still brilliant songs. But then as he starts, as Brian Wilson starts to experiment in the studio, it's just mind-blowingly good music. And God only knows uh, was a contender for the first dance for our wedding, but we decided that the the opening line, which is I, I may not always love you, is probably not appropriate for a first dance. So we ended up. I think when we were walking back down the aisle after the ceremony, we had like an instrumental version of that playing. So you got the right. music, but you didn't get the uh, slightly inappropriate lyrics. So what did you pick then for your first uh, Come Rain or Come Shine by Ray Charles. Oh, yeah. That's not, so, it's not too shabby, is it? No. It's fantastic. I think it was actually a, a B-side uh, when it was released in America. Really? It was out with uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice? And there was a real nervousness from the record label about the the, the title and kind of having Not God having in God. the yeah because a big thing obviously in mm-hmm. America at that time so they kind of they buried it on the the B side and then it became popular and it, it sort of came back through again so it's Paul McCartney's favorite ever song ever and Jimmy Webb's I believe right yeah which isn't isn't too bad as a reference point really um, and it's covered by I've got Andy Williams Neil Diamond. Olivia Newton-John, Glenn Campbell, Bowie, Michael Stipe, and Taylor Swift. Wow. So, um, pretty good roll call, really. And yeah. uh, and it was a Children Need single as well, remember. Are we just going to play them all now, then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know, I didn't realise that. I only, do you know the Children Need single only got to number 20? Oh, really? You know, it always gets to number one, these things, don't they, when they, when they do them? But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Perfect, I, perfect day was the big Children in Need it one. It was, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't believe that at all. It was, was real weird. Um, okay, so as I say, argu- arguably, um, God Only Knows could be in any best of list. It was actually number 11 on the Rolling Stones uh, Top 500. I mentioned Aretha uh, Franklin being number one there, so that's kind of hung about and got the recognition it deserves as well. So let's have a listen and remind ourselves of what genius sounds like. Uh, from Pet Sounds in 66, this is God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. So to finish us off, that was God Only Knows um by the Beach Boys from Pet Sounds. And um, I believe, Adam, you've actually saw Brian Wilson live? Yeah, I've seen him twice, um, Glastonbury and Tea in the Park. And his band were incredible. Whether it's slightly exploitative, having him still out on the road is maybe a separate discussion. Um, but the, the gigs themselves were brilliant, and particularly Glastonbury, they, uh, it was 
on the main stage, the pyramid stage, it was a Sunday afternoon in the sunshine. So there's not like a better environment for those Beach Boys songs. And it was the first and only time I've ever been at a gig where people have literally been crowd surfing as in they were getting passed over your head on surfboards. <laughs> so the surfboards, beach balls, it was probably a little bit cheesy, but it's what you yeah. want from the Beach Boys, you know. Indeed. As I say, I managed to finish with, and, and also it's a kind of great poster boy tune for you to finish with the kind of greatness of, of 1966 uh, and, and everything everything about it. Before we finish, Adam, could you tell us what you've got coming up um, over the next few weeks on your Old From Facts podcast or any other activity you've got planned? Yeah, so the podcast comes out every Tuesday. It's usually Tuesday. It just depends when we do the recordings. We normally record on a Monday afternoon and uh, it goes out at some point on the Tuesday. Um, we, I only tend to put the guests a few days in advance. Well, other than saying that, I've got for each of the next few weeks, one of the two guests confirmed. Um, basically, the way the show works is it's usually somewhere between an hour to an hour and a half of talking you know ostensibly it's a football podcast but after the first half hour we branch out into other passions that the people have or their sort of specialist subjects from their careers um and it's hopefully it's funny but we also touch on some serious subjects and it's always me plus two guests and the guests that I've picked or that I asked to come on it's based it's you know it doesn't tend to be footballers themselves it tends to be interesting funny people who are passionate about Scottish mm. football um, and so there's been a lot of writers there's been musicians so we've had uh, Stuart from Mogwai's been on Amy McDonald she's been on mm-hmm. um, we've had commentators uh, we've had TV people writers all sorts of just interesting people who've got interesting backgrounds and stories to tell and we use football as the kind of jumping off point and then it goes off into all kinds of areas so that comes out every week uh, I have a week I have a weekly column which will be depending on the subjects would either be in the evening times the herald or one of their uh, or there's a, a Celtic website and there's a rangers website Celtic ones Celtic way the rangers ones the rangers review um I've got uh, a couple other things I'm working on which I can't talk about just now okay. A because I'm not supposed to and B because they might not happen and then I'll look like an idiot um, and yeah it's just just taking as uh, many commissions as I can and seeing where it goes, <laughs> seeing where it goes and uh, trying to fit in a few hours sleep every now and then yeah well I can testify to that um, sort of eclectic nature of your content I think the last one I listened to you ended up talking about the best bakers in Dundee <laughs> yeah, that was uh, last week's show. So that was Ali Heather, that's who's right. a really, really interesting yeah. guy. He he was on with uh, Daniel Story, who's a really highly regarded football writer, um, yeah. and they were both great. Ali Heather is a Dundee United fan, and he's his thing is his his passion is kind of advocate for the Scots language. And he stays in Dundee and he's presented Dundee United's in-house TV coverage. And he was getting asked in the Twitter questions that we do at the end, he was getting asked to rank four specific Dundee bakeries in order. And he chose his favourite, but I think he was trying to be diplomatic. He didn't want to insult any of the bakeries. Yeah, I noticed. And I lived in Dundee, so I, I, I do suffer his, um, his pain there as well. It's hard <laughs> to choose them. 
they're all bad for you. That's that's all well, I can yeah. remember. Yeah. Well, it's, if, a, if a bakery isn't bad for you, then it's not worth going to. Well, there's no point being there. Are you, and, allowed, then, are you allowed to go at three o'clock in the morning and get a pie? There's one in Edinburgh and you can get a pie just when it comes out of the oven at like three in the morning. Well, there is actually um, one of the bakers that I also referred to is up in Hockhill and they have a 24-7 bakery with a shop to the front of that. Right. And I think it was for shift workers and stuff originally. You could go and get some stuff. But uh, yeah, so that, that football podcast, inverted commas, with with add-ons, I think would be uh, <laughs> uh, over in facts and it's, it's always very enjoyable and I would encourage anyone to check it out. And where can we get you on Twitter, Adam? Uh, yeah, it's at Old Firm Facts One. Thank you. Okay, thanks for that, Adam. Today's podcast and the supporting playlist can be found on Spotify by searching Over Our Garden Wall or join the chat on Facebook using the same search or find us on Twitter at Over Our Wall. Thanks again, Adam, for joining us today. Thanks it's so much, ab- Thanks, Adam. It's been an absolute pleasure. And 1966 is indeed a year that popular music may well have been at its finest. We will continue on our quest to find pop music's greatest year with another episode soon. But until we do, remember what none other than the Bard Shakespeare said, if music be the food of love, play on. Where was he Bard from? That's for next week's podcast, matey. <laughs> on that note, stay safe everyone, we'll catch you soon. All the best. <laughs>